0: This evening, on behalf of our pastoral team, um, our desire is to attempt to bring some clarity to how we can be processing the, the uh, tumultuous days in which we are living. You may be tired of hearing about uh, the days in which we live, and yet I, I have a burden. Chris and I both have a burden to speak to the days in which we live that the word of God may, may proclaim truths that will be helpful to us. So we're all aware of the challenges of injustice, the challenges of racism, the challenges of unrest and of much disagreement in our nation, accusations of who's to blame and who needs to change and what needs to change are being proclaimed at a feverish pace. And during the span of these weeks, I wonder if you're like me, I have have felt shocked and grieved and angered and confused and discouraged. Anyone like me? Yeah. I've wondered what can I do to contribute something meaningful to the current challenges that we're experiencing. And, and I can feel honestly at times a little bit numb. The questions that have been floating in my head have been questions like, how do I process these things from a biblical perspective? A biblical worldview? What, what am I to think about All of these things. Well... You know this to be true, dear church, but now more than ever, we desperately need the Word of God to guide our thinking. By by nature, if, if we took a poll in this very room, we're, we're not all going to be thinking about these things in the same way. We're not processing them the same way. And so we need, as a church, first of all, we need one another. We need one another because we need to listen to one another, and we need to understand one another, and we need to walk with one another because we aren't always thinking in similar patterns we need to grow in that way ultimately we must be a grounded people in scripture guided by scripture directed by a biblical worldview you know what one of the most dangerous things that you can do right now is One of the most dangerous things that you can do right now is to neglect the reading of God's Word. That's one of the most dangerous things that you can do. There are so many voices attempting to teach you and attempting to shape your thoughts. So many voices, news sites and a myriad of social media. Our minds are constantly and actively being shaped. Whether we're aware of it or not, they are being shaped by what we hear. And so our prayer as a pastoral team, first for ourselves and then for us as a church body, is that Scripture get the loudest place in our hearts and minds. In these days, I want to be informed not by a news website, but by Scripture itself. We need God's Word, dear friends. I know you know this. That's part of the reason you are here tonight. You want to hear God's Word. Word. May we be far more attuned to God's Word than to any news site. May think about it. Think about the time that you give to listening to a podcast or scrolling on the internet or on social media compared to the time that you give to the Word of God. What is shaping you more? What is shaping me more? Here's what I know I need when I feel Depressed about the situation in our country. When I am discouraged and flattened, thank God he lifts me by the word. Thank God his Holy Spirit is in me. But in those times, what do I need? I do not need a news website. I need the word of God to guide my thinking. And so it's that conviction that we come to the word this evening. And so if you haven't yet gotten there, if you could turn to Ephesians 2, that would be great. A few brief words of context Uh, will help us here. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to lift up the glorious nature of God's action in salvation history. Here's what he wants. He wants a church just like ours. They just happen to be in Ephesus. He wants the church to rejoice in the power of the gospel to reconcile two who were at odds. The power of the gospel brings together those who were at war with one another. So in this chapter specifically, he writes in part to call to their attention how the gospel spoke to the centuries long Ethnic divides between Jews and non-Jews or Jews and the Gentiles. He wants them to see afresh how the gospel can make two who were at enmity come together. So with that as an introduction, let's read again Ephesians chapter 2. I'm starting at verse 11. This is the word of God. Therefore, remember... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross to those who were near. May God bless the proclamation of his word and may he write its eternal truth on our hearts. Paul reminds the Ephesians of the wall that had divided Jews and Gentiles. The wall in their day represented the Jewish requirement of obedience to the Mosaic law, especially obedience to ceremonial things like special kinds of washings and circumcision and those kinds of things. Those were the requirement in order to be numbered among God's people. Outward conformity to these laws made the Jewish leaders and Jewish people feel superior to those around them, to the Gentiles. Thus, Gentiles wanted nothing to do with Israel's God. There was this dividing wall, and it was very clear, and it was filled with very real tension among these two ethnic groups. And Paul is saying in this passage, Jesus, through his death on the cross, broke down that dividing wall of hostility through his death on the cross. Observing the law was no no longer a barrier to becoming part of the people of God. See, the gospel proclaims you are reconciled to God by faith. And trust in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus tore down any wall of hostility between us and God. L- listen to how Paul describes our reality prior to Christ. Again, verses 11 and 12. Therefore remember at that, that one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time, now listen to the descriptors, you were separated from Christ, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, you were strangers to the covenants of promise, you had no hope. And without God in this world. See, this is our situation apart from Christ. We are aliens and strangers. We are without hope in this world apart from Christ. And so sin is that barrier. Sin is that dividing wall of hostility. And if you notice... There are two walls, if you will, or, or the wall goes in two directions because we have hostility in a, in a vertical relationship to God. And we also have hostility by nature toward one another. We, we have hearts that are filled with hatred and we cannot love one another until we have been loved in a particular way through the forgiveness by Christ. And so, this is our hope. It's Jesus Christ. So we see in verse 13, Christ breaks down that dividing wall. He's the only one who can. So after the bad news comes the best news of Christ. Look at verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ so we who were at war with God and at war with one another we've been brought near how? what was the particular agent of our reconciliation? the agency of our reconciliation was the power of Christ's blood the power of Christ's blood. It's, it's the cross of Christ alone that is the only power in the world that can break down those dividing walls of hostility. That's why Jesus came. To reconcile a people who were hostile to Him. And to reconcile them to God. And when we're reconciled to God, then we can reconcile with one another. Out of two, He is making one New man. Listen to verses 14 through 16. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. So making peace And that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now let me ask you, have you ever been in a relationship where you have had hostility? Have you experienced on the receiving end hostility from someone else? I don't know how you handle conflict and I see some brothers and sisters looking at each other right now. (laughs) I don't know how you handle hostility but when I've ever experienced even a small bit of hostility I don't like it. I want it to be over immediately. See Hostility is not the way God has ever intended for us to experience life. When He created Adam and Eve in the garden, in that perfect union between God and man and woman, He intended that we not experience hostility, but peace. Hostility was never God's idea. And through the cross of Christ, we can be restored out of Out of hostility and into that place of peace. Dear friends, this is the hope of the world. Jesus and His blood that covers the hostility, that restores relationship between God and man so that our relationship between man and man can once again be restored again. The cross kills hostility, praise the Lord. The cross is what reconciles people to God and reconciles people one to another. The cross is the leveling agent where we stand forgiven at the cross at the cross you don't notice race at the cross you don't notice male or female you don't notice those things all you see is the fact that you are forgiven and the person standing next to you is forgiven and you're looking at each other is like is this really true can it be so that i am forgiven this is the power of the cross we sing that song the refrain goes like this this the power of the cross Christ became sin for us took the blame bore the wrath we stand forgiven at the cross in this world with all of the tumult and the difficulty going on what is the hope for us? What is the hope for any peace at all? It is the power of the cross to crush the hostility that exists between God and men. It is the only power that can crush that hostility. Not peace talks, even though they are valuable. They will not ultimately deliver true and lasting, durable peace. It's only the power of Jesus' blood. It's the power of the cross. Listen to the words and the vision that God gave to John in the book of Revelation. When he wanted to paint a picture of what's to come and the purpose of the gospel, this is what he says. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransom people for God. Listen, from every tribe and language and people and nation. What was it that ransomed those? It was the blood of Jesus Christ that ransomed people from every tribe and from every language and from every people and from every nation. This is the vision of godly reconciliation through the power of the cross. This is a glorious vision. Only God could do this vision. Only He can unite people who are so ununited who seethe at times with hatred. Only God could do this. Praise the Lord. It's in the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. So, what does the gospel have to say about racism and injustice? Let's apply the gospel to the issue of racism and injustice. Dear friends, you know this to be true. God's heart is grieved by injustice and racism. Where racism exists, in every instance, it is evil. It is wrong. It is sin against holy God. The Word of God stands against racism in every form. Scripture holds, in fact, that all people are created in God's image. And the Word of God affirms to us, Here's what it affirms. That every human, at every point of development, in every condition, in every language and race and people group, has been created in the image of God. And furthermore, is to be treated with appropriate dignity, honor, respect. This is why forms of any type of racism And ethnocentrism is so evil, it stands against God. It's not only a sin against our fellow man, but against their creator as well. Where our black brothers and sisters in particular, but others as well, have been the object of racism and injustice, we grieve with them. It's right for us to do so. We grieve and we empathize. I have not experienced what some have experienced. I want to listen. I want to understand. The Bible calls us to weep with those who weep. He calls us to bear one another's burdens. And we want to be faithful to come alongside of any And in particular, our African-American friends in our church and in our community who are experiencing grief and sorrow right now in a particular way and seek to comfort them and encourage them in their time of trial. See, the glory of the gospel is this, that God forgives all sin, including the horrible sin of racism. And that Christ, through the indwelling Spirit of God, which is in us, Christ can radically change human hearts, making possible racial and ethnic harmony and peace and reconciliation. That is glorious to the Father, because He stands in direct opposition to these evil practices. So... By way of application for us. As we process, dear friends, the unrest that we hear about and see with the noise of so many voices coming at us in these days. uh, I want to press home these points drawn from scripture. These action steps for us together. First of all, as God's people, let us diagnose the problem biblically. See, racism and injustice are a result of the fall. They're the result of sin. They they continue to exist in our world because of sin. Now, I understand that may seem overly simplistic, but it's what God's Word says. It's sin and it exists because we live in a fallen world. Any diagnosis of wrong, of what is wrong in our world today that doesn't speak of sin, is overlooking the biblical diagnosis. What, what does the Word of God say just by way of reminder about our condition apart from Christ? Here are two verses. The heart, in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's what the Word of God says about your heart and my heart apart from Christ. Uh, another Romans three twenty three all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This these are our pictures of our hearts apart from God. See, because if we miss the biblical diagnosis, then we miss the cure. Only the Lord, only the Lord himself has the cure. And it's to turn to him in repentance. So we have to diagnose the problem. We have to admit that there is wrong and evil and racism and injustice in the world. If we're going to begin any process of reconciliation, we have to start there. It's, it's true and it's there. And what do we do? We proclaim, secondly, the cure. Jesus came. Why? Why? To give us abundant life. He came to destroy the work of the devil. The devil loves what's going on in our country right now. God hates what's going on in our country. Because he's righteous. And he's holy. And he created every person in his image. Never to be treated as we have seen on camera. Only he, dear friends, only Christ has the power to change our sinful, rebellious hearts and change them so that we can love one another. Only Christ can do that. Nothing else has the power. See, you're not going to hear this in the news. You're not going to hear this when you dial in. You're only going to hear the biblical diagnosis when you go to the word of God. The gospel is of first importance for us, dear friends. This is how God changes hearts through the blood of Jesus Christ. So what do we do? Church, what do we do? How how do we apply this in, in particular? Dear church, let's pray. Let's pray that God would use this time of turmoil in our land to stir people, to help them see that in themselves there is no hope, that in a cause or in a political party there is no hope. That's not where we put our hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ alone and in Him we trust. So let's pray for revival, that God would send His mighty Holy Spirit upon us, That people would come to see the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ as he stands, ready to forgive anyone who will come to him. The power of the cross, the power of his blood, it's unparalleled in this world. Through grace, God justifies ungodly people. And he turns their hearts upside down and he reconciles them to himself so then they can be reconciled with one another. Dear friends, this is the hope for our world. Let us continue to proclaim this hope in our world. And then thirdly. Friends, let us get to the work of living out the implications of the gospel. See, if we say that we love God, then we by nature will love our neighbor. Remember that? Uh, The the people came to Jesus and said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? He said, well, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the implication of our glorious gospel as we live it out is that we will love people. That we will do what we heard about two weeks ago, Micah 6, 8. That we will do justice. That we will love mercy. I love that phrase. I want to love mercy. Mercy. I've received mercy. I want to love it and give it away that will do justice, that will love mercy, that will walk humbly with our God. When we find ourselves in situations that we will mirror God and be his image bearer. Listen to Ephesians chapter 5, just a few pages over. He says, therefore, in light of the gospel, therefore... Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This evening, um, my daughter Rachel and I are gonna hop in the car and drive five hours to Connecticut to see my mom and dad. I'm just going to have a, a quick two-day visit to help them with a, a need that they have, and it's been a, a while since I've seen them. And here's the reality that I'm aware of as I drive to my home, that um, for better and for worse, I resemble my dad. <laughs> Julie, do you have any comment? <laughs> For better and for worse, I resemble my dad. Because I'm his kid. I'm his son. And it's, it's natural, it's right that I resemble him. What Paul is saying is, you have a heavenly father. You've been born again. Therefore, resemble your father. Love Like your father. Do justice. Like your father. Be merciful. Like your father. Walk humbly. With your father. See because if we don't have love. We got nothing. Yesterday. As we met with the prayer and prophecy team. We walked through 1 Corinthians 13. And I was reminded freshly, we can do all kinds of things. We can have all kinds of gifts. We can make all kinds of sacrifices. But if we don't have love, we have nothing. Let us, in these days, dear friends, because of the glory of the gospel, because we have been changed by the gospel, let us reflect the image of our Heavenly Father and let us love like He loves and be merciful. Because when we love others and when we welcome others who are maybe unlike us, maybe who are of different races and cultures. When we do that, it's not just a polite thing to do. It's a gospel thing to do. Why? How is inviting and walking with others who are unlike us, how is that a gospel thing to do? It's a gospel thing to do because those are people that Jesus died for. At the cross, he didn't just die for one kind. He died for all mankind. And so it's a gospel thing to do to invite and welcome and walk with people of every kind it's a gospel issue and so we walk the implications of the gospel let me close us now with a picture of heaven among the various visions that god gave john as he recorded the book of revelation we have a picture of a coming day a coming day dear friends when when strife in this world will be over a day when when tears will be no more a day when when disease will be gone we'll have new bodies a day when justice and righteousness reigns and god preserves these glimpses of heaven he he does this for a reason It's not just so that the book of Revelation can exist. It's so that the book of Revelation can encourage us and strengthen us in days like now in days like today when we can be tempted to be weary and we can be tempted to just want to stop. And here it is. Let me read the vision. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Hallelujah. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things, say it with me, new. That day's coming. In fact, we're one day closer to that day having lived through Father's Day. So, dear friends, let's take courage. Let's take hope. Let's walk in empathy and care and love because this is what God has done for us. This, I believe, is how we begin to respond in these days at God, as God enables us to do it. Would you stand with me as we close? Truly, Lord, we are in debt to you. This scripture that we just read communicates to us one profound reality that we were lost and without hope in this world. There was a wall that divided you from us and us from you and us from one another And by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, that dividing wall has been destroyed. It's been cut down. It's only through the power of Jesus' blood that that can happen. And so, Lord, we are in debt to you. We have a loving debt to pay. We are a debtor to mercy alone. So, God, as we now reflect on these things as we seek to live in such a way that we would do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with you. Lord, receive our thanks and our praise, because only you could do it. And so only you should receive the praise. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.